0: Let's take our Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 20. Glad to be picking up back in our study in the book of Acts. We made it through all of chapter 19, all the way from 1 to 19 last year. And uh, hopefully over the next few months, we will finish out this great book of Scripture. And uh, it's, this is a little bit on the longer end of books in God's Word, 28 chapters But so full of truth to challenge us as we continue to move forward together for the work that God has given for us to do. As we start up in chapter 20, Paul is leaving Ephesus. There's been a big uproar there. You see, the ministry of God's work and the gospel was going forward with such effectiveness that it was hurting. The trade of the silversmiths there in the city of Ephesus, they weren't able to make and sell as many idols because people were turning from idols to follow Jesus. What a great testimony to the work of God that as we live as salt and light in this world, it makes a difference when light shines in dark places. And I'm thankful for the example of that taking place in Ephesus. And I believe we can and will and should see those same kind of things take place today. All right, hopefully get all the frogs out of my throat this morning be all right. It's fine in the first service, so we'll be there. But as Paul is headed out here, he's going to go back on the road, back, continuing on his ministry journey. We have followed him <clears throat> from back in the beginning part of the book. When he came to Christ, remember, Paul hated the things of Jesus. Paul tried to imprison the people who followed Jesus. He put people to death for following Jesus. He participated in the stoning of Stephen, the man we know is the first martyr. So I don't want you to forget where Paul has come from. But praise God, God didn't leave him where he found him. God doesn't leave us where he finds us. If we will walk with him, God will change and will transform your life. But as Paul goes forward serving God, we've seen many ups and downs along the way. Paul's been in prison himself. Paul's been stoned. Paul has faced many challenges along the way. And as he gets back into his now third and final missionary journey that we're following along with in chapter 20, I want you to hear this morning some stories from the road, if you will, as if Paul, through the Holy Spirit as the author Luke is penning all this down, is telling us some of the events and things that took place along the road, because you know the road can be challenging at times, can't it? You know that. This even happens if you're trying to go on a car trip somewhere. Seems like every road trip of any length has some frustrating stories in it, things like flat tires, getting caught up in traffic, or if you're flying somewhere, you always seem to get stuck at TSA at just the wrong time. My dad and I had that experience a few weeks ago. We were trying to make our flight. I have not run that far that fast in a long time. We picked the line that then tsa decided to let all of everybody else who worked at the airport anybody that was in a wheelchair anybody that showed up they all got to cut us in line we're standing there literally it was our turn next to put our bags on and we probably stood there i don't think this is an exaggeration over 15 minutes just waiting to put our bags even though it was like here to put your bags on the scanner as they kept letting people cut us in line You know, well, I have to go sell pretzels, you know, so I'm more important than you making your flight. And, you know, well, these folks are in wheelchairs, but their flight's not for three hours. doesn't matter. We're here to help them now, so you're going to have to wait on them. So we just picked the wrong line, but we finally made it. There's frustrating stories. I know a number of years ago when I was in school and working all day and trying to sell copy machines to make a living, Uh, One day I came out after an appointment, I had to run to another appointment, to another meeting, and my tire was flat. And I was in a suit and tie, and it was Kansas City, Missouri, in August, and it was hot. And uh, so I had to get down in the parking lot in my suit and tie and change the tire, just so I could make my next appointment in time. time. And some of you know what that experience is like, as you, like ride down the road with your arms up like this, with the A.C. turned on high, trying to fan yourself out and trying to, trying to evaporate some of the sweat that's just pouring off your body, and uh, that was not fun. Sometimes on the road, you end up with some funny stories. You've probably experienced those along the way. You look back and say, wow, that was kind of wild or crazy. I know my wife and I, not long after we'd been married, we were spending some time with my family up in Colorado, and we were traveling down from the mountains to Shandy's parents' house. And we left thinking we were leaving in the right time, doing the right thing. We got on I-70, heading east, coming south out of the mountains. And there was a giant snowstorm that came through. There was a snow slide that came down and it, it covered I-70 with snow. And we ended up, we didn't get hit by the snow coming down the mountain, but we got stuck on the highway and we were parked in the middle of I-70 for eleven hours while they tried to clear off the highway and get us out. It was weird, you know, being parked in the middle of an interstate with all these other people and this it was snowing hard, so the snow's piling up, you know, lots of engines. People are getting out of their cars and having snowball fights in the road. I mean, eleven hours is a long time to do anything. It's especially a long time when you're stuck in the middle of the highway with nowhere to go, nothing to do, there were no exits where you could get off and you were just sitting there and people are getting out and walking around and it was fine for a while but then there come some necessities of life like how do you go to the restroom in the middle of I-70 in a snowstorm when you're there with a thousand other people parked in the middle of the road And you know it's amazing the things people will do when necessity requires and, uh, and as we left driving and you see little spots of yellow snow all over I-70 you know some people did what they had to do to get down the road but we survived and we look back now and we kind of laugh about it every time I go through that portion of I-70 which isn't often but if I'm ever up there I always think there was the spot where we were camped on the middle of the interstate for all of that time one of the times I came running out of a meeting when I was again working in sales and I hit the button on my car to unlock it on my key fob and I heard it beep and and so I had a drove a little silver Toyota Camry at the time, and I jumped in the car, and I sat down. And when I got in, the first thing I noticed, and if you're tall like me, you understand this, I noticed that the seat was pushed way up, and I thought, what happened to the seat? You know, like every time I get into a rental car or anybody else's vehicle, the first thing I do is run the seat all the way back. Because somebody told me, you should just buy one of these small cars and take the front seat out and just sit in the back. That might fit you better. And it probably would. They don't make cars or airplanes or things over for people that are more than about six feet tall, I think, anymore. But uh, anyway, so I jump in the car and it doesn't fit. And I thought, what's going on? And then I looked over and someone else's stuff was in the passenger seat of the car. And I thought, what is going on? And And I immediately realized this wasn't even my car (laughs) and I jumped out of it and I'm in the parking lot I realized my car was parked just behind that car but it was two identical cars parked side by side and uh, my beeper did not open their door but it had opened my door and so I heard it beep so my mind thinks okay that's my car but their car just happened to be unlocked and so I climbed in the wrong person's car and I remember scrambling out of the car I'm in a school parking lot in someone else's car. I thought they're going to think I'm some sort of criminal here, you know, doing something awful. They probably just thought I was an idiot. But, you know, anyway, I I got out of the car and got into my own and went on my way. There's some funny things that come up when you travel. But there's also some difficult challenges that come along the road whenever you're traveling. Maybe you've been going someplace and you were in an accident and it really changed the whole course of your trip. Or maybe you broke down and you thought, I don't even know how I'm going to get this vehicle fixed and get back. And just the struggles that come along the road. And here in the first 12 verses is all we're going to look at of Acts 20 this morning. I think you see some of these stories from the road, if you will. As you're going to see a whole lot of places and a whole lot of names. As Paul is really, in a sense, winding up, or finishing up his missionary journeys. He's headed back now towards Jerusalem. He wants to make it there so that he can celebrate the Passover with the church at Jerusalem. He's bringing with him a collection. He's been taking up financial donations for the saints at Jerusalem. Isn't it interesting to think that one of the most challenging places to be a Christian at that moment in history was in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem. The place that had been such a hub of God's working for thousands of years, and yet some of the greatest persecution for the believers at this point in history was in Jerusalem. I think it's also interesting to note that one of the first people that we read of bringing that persecution to Jerusalem was Paul. And now he's coming back with help for the believers who are being persecuted. You see, there are always those who will stand against the work of the Lord, who will resist God's plan and work, and yet God is faithful. So this morning, listen as we read verses 1 through 6 and hear some of these stories from the road. He says, and after the uproar was ceased, this was the uproar in Ephesus over the fact that the silversmiths were upset that their idols were not selling because people were coming to Christ. Paul called unto him the disciples and embraced them and departed for to go into Macedonia. And when he had gone over those parts and had given them much exhortation, so he was encouraging them and challenging them to stay faithful, he came into Greece and in there abode three months. And when the Jews laid wait for him... as He was about to sail into syria he purposed to return through macedonia as you read this don't you just hear it's like he went here and he spent three months over there and, and then he encouraged these believers over there he's moving kind of quickly at this point he spent several years in ephesus and now he's moving quickly as he's going back to encourage the saints and trying to help some of those believers that he'd seen in the past and it says, and they're accompanying him into Asia. Here's some of the people that were with him. Sopater of Berea. And of the Thessalonians. Aristarchus. And Segundus. And Gaius of Derby, And, here's a familiar name to us, and Timotheus. Here's Timothy. And of Asia. Tychicus. And Trophimus, these going before, tarried for us at Troas. And we sailed away from Philippi, Philippi was in Macedonia, after the days of unleavened bread, and came unto them to Troas in five days, where we abode seven days. Troas is just across the water from where Philippi was over in Macedonia. So he's making his way, Philippi is a ways away from Jerusalem, probably one of the farther cities away, and he's making his way back towards Jerusalem. Obviously, Philippi is not as far as Rome, but he hasn't made it there yet. As Paul is traveling, you just read here accounts of the ministry, and I think here we can see in his story from the road something we can understand, first of all, this morning. You will encounter obstacles on the road. I remember my wife and I were driving from Kansas City to South Carolina and we were coming through the mountains in North Carolina. Some of you have driven along these roads and you know what I'm talking about. And a big truck in front of us, some debris fell off of it, big sheets of plywood. I saw this plywood flying at my car and tried to stop and swerve as best I could. It didn't end up hurting us, one piece glanced off the windshield, went flying over the top of the car, another piece went under the car, another piece kind of mashed up against the side of the car, so we had to get some work done afterwards. But thankfully we were able to continue on with our trip. The Lord protected us, it was one of those things you're just driving down the road and all of a sudden it just happens in front of you, there's no way to avoid it. A lot of times in life I think that there's a danger in the Christian life of thinking that it's supposed to be easy or that there won't be any obstacles, or that when you set out, like on a road trip, on a journey, you have your plan, you know where you're going. used to be you had an atlas, now you just put it in your GPS and go, but you put gas in your car, you tell somebody this is the ETA, we're going to be there at this time, and you head out, assuming that that's how it's all going to work out. But if you've lived any life, you understand that's not how it often works out, because there are obstacles On the road, there are things that come up that you don't expect, things that slow you down. As Paul is traveling, we see he's moving from place to place. And you notice down in verse 3, after he spends three months in Greece, he's getting ready to sail to Syria. It says, and the Jews laid wait for him. It wasn't because they had a going away present. It wasn't because they said, oh, Paul, we forgot to give you all of your love offering. (laughs) No. Many commentators believe that these Jews had found out that he was about to sail to Syria, and so there was a group of them that were working basically as assassins to try to kill him. And they had booked passage on the same ship that Paul had booked passage on thinking that while they were at sea, it would be an ideal time to kill him and just pitch him overboard. There's obstacles. Have you ever felt like in the Christian life, you know, I'm trying to do the right thing. Why is it so hard? Why is it so hard? I think we get the wrong idea that somehow the Christian life's going to be easy, that God's going to just pave the way and everything's going to work out. I mean, look, I'm in church. I'm trying to follow God. I'm trying to do the right things. I'm even giving to the Lord. I'm trying to put Him first. Shouldn't it all just be easy? God never promised that it would be easy, but He did promise to go with us every step of the way. And God was with Paul. God was with Paul. Paul. Over and over, we've seen Paul face danger. Paul didn't purposefully put himself in danger, but he was purposeful in his service and his obedience to follow the Lord. And in so doing, it opened him up to some danger, to some opposition. Satan's resistance to God's work is real. I've got to call... This week from a friend who's going through a very, very, very difficult, difficult situation. And there were many things we spoke about, but one thing I reminded him of, I said, don't forget who your enemy is. I said, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places don't ever get the idea that well the christian life if you just serve god faithfully you won't face obstacles you won't face opposition in fact when you start to serve god it may be the most opposition you've ever faced in your whole life and the longer you serve him the more the opposition may come that's what paul's experience was It's not that the obstacles get smaller, no, they generally get bigger. It's not that the road gets easier, it generally gets harder. It's not that there are less people that are concerned that you're following God, in fact there are more people perhaps resisting your walk with the Lord. But I'm so thankful that His grace is sufficient. As the burdens grow greater, so too does His grace. There is no limit to His grace, there's no unending play, or there's no place where his love runs out. It is unending. I'm so thankful that he's faithful yesterday, today and forever. He's promised to never leave us or forsake us. Our God is faithful. Satan's resistance to God's work is real. Paul even wrote it this way to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 16, 8 and 9. He said, I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great door and effectual is opened unto me. Paul saw the opportunity to do God's work. But his next, the words out of his mouth next where he says, and there are many adversaries. When the opportunity to serve God seems greatest, I think is when the adversaries seem the largest. You can't win this spiritual battle on your own. Paul says, there's a great opportunity in front of me to obey God, to share the gospel. He had a desire that every Gentile would hear the gospel. What a goal. I mean, for one man to say, I want to see every Gentile hear of Christ. That's a lot of people, Paul. He didn't have a a TV station to get it out to all the people. He couldn't send out a mass email. He couldn't even do a mass mailer. He's one guy. How was he going to do that? Well, definitely not in his own strength. Definitely not because he personally would be able to personally speak to every living person at that point. No, because he understood that God's commission was to go even to the uttermost part of the earth and share the gospel. And he understood God's method was to go and make disciples who make other disciples who then in turn make other disciples. There are great obstacles on the road. While Satan's resistance to God's work is real, God always gives the right directions. God always gives the right directions. My wife and I were laughing the other day about this. We were driving somewhere here in town, she said, it's so terrible. I don't even know if I could even get around without my GPS anymore. I I don't even even know what I would do. What are we going to do if all of a sudden the global positioning satellite system goes down? We'll all just be totally lost and nobody even has an atlas anymore. We'd be totally lost. you know how it is with our GPS we just plug that thing in tell it where we want to go and we just follow it wherever it says to go people don't even look at signs anymore you see them because all they're driving along and they're like over here in the far left lane then all of a sudden they'll cut across six lanes of traffic and exit why because all of a sudden their GPS says exit now okay they weren't bothering to read the signs like in two miles you know the the exits coming up or or in the old days you just knew like I remember when I would drive to my grandmother's house she lived at exit 175 you know what I was counting down from exit 250 all the way down to 175 I knew when we were close to grandma's house and it wasn't because the GPS was telling me like I I've been looking forward to this for a long time grandma still lives at exit 175 and I would count those miles. But I'm so thankful that God always gives us the right direction because as we follow Him, sometimes the direction He leads us might be confusing to us, might not always make sense to you. When Somebody added all of this up. It wasn't me, but I read this in one of my commentaries that... Paul traveled, on his missionary journey, some 12,350 miles. Some of that was by ship, but the majority of that was on foot, or perhaps by some animal that they were traveling on. He evangelized some 1,500 square miles of area. Now. This was not over a 50-year period. It was about 16 years. Like, if you go up into our front office, we have a map on the wall of the area around our church that we're trying to share the gospel with people around us. It's not 1,500 square miles. Also, as we read his letters, we believe he was sick a lot of the time physically sick. He had Dr. Luke there with him to help minister to his physical needs. He spent a big chunk of that time in jail, and yet he continued faithfully for the Lord. Have you ever been in a situation, as it seems like Paul often was, where God's directions didn't quite make sense to you? God, why are you putting me here? God, why are you allowing this? God, why is this going on? But God always gives the right direction on the road. As he's traveling now, he, he, he senses the Lord's leading to head over to Macedonia. But then he gets there, and then he's on his way back through Macedonia. And then somehow he finds out about these Jews lying in wait. Perhaps the Holy Spirit led him. Hey, don't take the ship. It's time to walk. At Paul's age, with as much walking as he's done, I've got to take the ship again. I, I have to walk again? Well, that's what God wanted him to do, and so He did. He traveled over land. Stories from the road. There's always obstacles. There's always obstacles. But I think another important thing, if we're going to live for Christ as He wants us to do, yes, we have to understand there's obstacles, there's challenges, but we need to have the right priorities. You must have the right priorities on the road. I know we have some teenagers here. Driving permits first-time driver's licenses, all the excitement that goes into that. Learning how to drive is a fun experience, or scary experience, depending on who you are. And when you learn to drive, you have to understand the right priorities on the road. You have to understand who has the right of way, who goes first, you have to understand What it means, as most people don't in our city, to come to a complete stop, or to use this little thing called a blinker. It would change your life. It just click it on, click it off, and signal to the person behind you that you're turning. I don't know how many times out here on Shepherd, I'm driving along, all of a sudden, the person in front of me slams on their brakes, and then they just turn in. I'm like, a blinker would have been nice. Well, they're not concerned about me. I'm just the guy behind them. A Blinker is just a signal to other drivers around you. But if it's not your priority to warn other drivers before you're about to turn, then why bother to use the blinker? When you're sitting at a a light and it's a left turn, and it is green in front of you, but it's not the green arrow, you have to learn that it's your job to wait for the person across from you. Or one of my favorites right now, right by my house where I turn out on Donovan Street, across from me, uh, next to St. Pius High School, there's a left-turn-only lane, and then there's the lane where you go straight through the intersection. And it seems like every day, without fail, as I go through that intersection, somebody's going through the straight lane only, and then all of a sudden they fear left. Right in front of you. It's exciting. People don't have the right priorities on the road. And that's often what causes accidents and difficulties and struggle. And you know, spiritually speaking, I want you to notice in verse 7 and 8 of Acts 20, the priorities that this church had, and Paul along with them, this early church there in Troas, the priorities that they had in their relationship with God. Look at verse 7. It says, And upon the first day of the week, what day is that? That's today, as Sunday. First day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. I won't do that to you today. And there were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered together. You say, what do you mean by priorities? Well, I see a priority of the people to assemble on the first day of the week. They made a priority to come together on a Sunday. And if you notice the context here, this is the last day that Paul is with them. He's leaving the next day to go on. And perhaps, and we know now from hindsight, but they didn't know for sure at that time, but they were never going to see Paul again in the flesh, in this life. But they still made the priority on coming together to assemble Here we see the church meeting on the first day of the week. We see that throughout the book of Acts. Now did they meet on other days? Sure. And ought we meet other days? Yes. But I think the priority on the first day of the week is something we should take into account. That's why we worship the Lord on Sundays, because we're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. First time you read that phrase, now upon the first day of the week, it says it was very early in the morning that the ladies came to the sepulcher bringing the spices which they had prepared. Why? To anoint the body of Jesus. And when they got there, what did they find at the tomb? That the stone had been rolled away and the tomb was empty. And that's why we come together on Sunday because we're celebrating that the tomb is empty, that He is alive, that He's risen indeed. They were faithful to assemble, but they were also faithful to worship. They were faithful to worship. It says they... Came together to break bread. In the early church, this wasn't just a a big meal. This is what we're actually going to be doing at the end of the service today. Break bread as we remember the body of Christ that was broken, the blood of Christ that was shed for our sin. That's part of our worship. Isn't it interesting that this early church, I mean, this group of people, they, they didn't have the most comfortable place to assemble. As you'll see in a minute, they were on the third floor of a house, a lot of stairs. It was tight. It was so packed in there that one young man sitting in the windowsill, you're all in padded chairs this morning. Nobody's in the windowsill. He said, we don't have any windowsills. When I was a boy, our church had little windowsills. They were about this wide, had those tall, skinny windows. You know what I'm talking about. You've probably seen those. And as a little kid, it was a fun little seat. But as you get a little bigger, you would not want to have to sit in that windowsill. That would have been very uncomfortable. It wasn't a comfortable time to meet, it was late, and it got even later. Paul, it's past midnight. Well, can't you understand it's Paul's last time to ever preach to these people? you think perhaps he had some really important things that God had laid on his heart that he wanted to share with them? Do you see the priority that these people have on coming together, assembling together, worshiping God, and we also see they were faithful to preach and to hear preaching? You know, we need to hear from God's Word. They were hungry for it. They weren't telling Paul, hey, get done. No, we need to hear from God's God's word. We need to hear God's truth. The Bible even describes it a little further down in verse 9 as long preaching. You know, to this world, all of this focus on God's word doesn't make sense to your flesh it's not necessarily comfortable or even necessarily enjoyable paul wrote back to the church at corinth in 1 corinthians 1 and verse 18 he says for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish it's foolishness but unto us which are saved it is the power of god He wrote a few verses later in verse 21, For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. These people understood there was power not in Paul. There was power in the name of Jesus. There was power in the word of God. There was power to change lives. And that same power is available to us today. People need Jesus. People need God. People need the hope that's only found in the Lord. I heard about a young man who moved to a city to take a large church as its pastor. After the first service, one of the gossips came up and said, Pastor, how do you ever expect to please 700 people with your preaching? And he said, I never came here expecting to please 700 people with my preaching. He said, because my responsibility is only to please one. And as long as he's pleased, everything else will be fine. Everything else will be fine. Paul wrote to his son in the faith, Timothy. At the end of Paul's ministry, Paul wrote to Timothy. Timothy, 1 Timothy 4.2, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy 4.2, preach the word. Timothy, be instant, in season and out of season. Timothy, it's not always going to be comfortable to hear God's word or to proclaim God's truth. It's not always going to be convenient. It's not always going to be when you're feeling your best. But Timothy, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering. It doesn't mean long windedness, but it means patience. Because what I found in my limited experience, people don't change overnight. People can be saved quickly, but the transformation of habits, priorities of family and friends and careers, those things take time. It's not because God works slowly. It's because people generally move slowly. Be patient, but give them doctrine. Not just fluff. Not just things to make you feel good about yourself. Hey, I got my you know, five good things for this. No, we need teaching. We need truth. We need doctrine. It's the truth that sets us free. Paul understood this, Timothy understood this, the church at Troas understood this, I wonder if our church today understands this. Are we willing to put a priority on what God puts a priority on? If we're going to navigate the road of life, if we're going to live as God would have us to live, we need to put the priority where God puts the priority. We look at what God did in the early church, and at least I look at it and say, that's amazing. God, do it again. But are we willing to live like they lived? To, do, to serve as they served? To sacrifice as they sacrificed? To hear sound doctrine as they heard it, and to allow it to change our lives to live? What's really incredible here is you think of a lot of these, some of these may have been Jews who are now believing Jews some of these were pagan Gentiles some of them had religious upbringing in the Old Testament some of them their religious upbringing was in paganism and yet they're all together unified listening to the same preaching loving the same Jesus wanting to grow in their understanding and truth of his word what happened It's not because you read about, well, they just had the best children's ministry, or, man, their youth ministry was dynamic, or, well, you should have just seen all the incredible musicians. Now, has God given all those gifts to the church? Sure. But if we have God and His Word and His Holy Spirit, and if we have Jesus Christ, we have enough. We have enough. And if God gives us some of those extra things, we thank thank Him for it, we bless Him But we don't have to be reliant on anything other than God. Like the old song says, in the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. And when I come to die, give me Jesus. All I need is Him. There's obstacles on the road. We need to have the right priorities to be on the road with the Lord. But I want to remind you and encourage you this morning, you also experience blessings on the road. You know, when you're traveling somewhere, again, the illustration of taking a trip, there's often unexpected blessings that come along the way. Things you get to see, experiences you get to have, people you meet that you would have never got to enjoy if you weren't taking the trip down the road. Obstacles, challenges, resistance. Oh, yeah. Struggle. You're tired. Keeping the priorities right. Yeah, it's hard. But the blessings are real because his mercies are new every morning. Look, this long preaching's going on. It says in verse 9 there sat in a window a certain young man named Eutychus. You just know that this guy, I mean, he's named in Scripture. So people, in, when you get to heaven someday, everybody's going to be like, where is Eutychus? I'm going to meet this guy who fell asleep in church. That, like, that's, his, that's why he's well-known is because he fell asleep in church. We could pull this out of context and make an application that if you fall asleep in church, we should name your name too so that you're well-known like Eutychus. But I, that's not what the Bible's teaching. <laughs> so we go, what? Really? no, no. while he's remembered for falling asleep it's not just because he fell asleep it's because what happened after he fell asleep and we could also take the wrong application say be careful don't fall asleep in church this morning you might die because Eutychus died that wouldn't be the right application either from this passage you say, why not? Well, let's read the verse and you'll see. He says, and there sat in a window a certain young man named Eutychus being fallen into a deep sleep. He's really sleeping hard. And as Paul was long preaching, so is this Eutychus' fault or Paul's fault? Okay, no, that's not the point either. He sunk down with sleep and fell down from the third loft. He's on the third story. And he fell and he was taken up dead. He died. If you fell out of a three-story window, you might die too. But what happened? And Paul went down and fell on him and embracing him said, Trouble not yourselves, for his life is in him. When he therefore was come up again and had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even till break of day. So he departed. Paul goes down with this young man. He raises him back to life. The man is able to be with them. And the people spend the whole rest of the night together. And then it says in verse 12, And they brought the young man alive and were not a little comforted. They were comforted. You'll experience blessings on the road. You say, a man falling asleep and falling out of the window doesn't sound like a blessing. Well, if that's where the story stopped, it wouldn't be a blessing. But the blessing is that he was healed. I believe in this. You can clearly see God's mercy and His faithfulness, both to the church and to Paul. Paul's just a man. He's preaching. He has a heart to encourage the people. He goes long into the night, past midnight, A young man, he's just an average young man it seems like, he's sitting in the windowsill doing his best hopefully to prop himself up and stay awake. He falls asleep and he falls out of the window and dies. This is just sort of an occurrence, an accident, a situation that could have happened anywhere. But God in His kindness, His love and mercy, instead of saying, well, that's what happened, let's let it happen. No, God says, I'm going to intervene in this situation. Now, does God always intervene in that kind of situation? No, He doesn't have to. He's under no obligation. I mean, if Eutychus, he's there, we assume he's a believer. He'd be in heaven. so Eutychus would be okay. But God, in His love for His people, He doesn't want them to remember their last night with Paul as the night Eutychus died. He raises him back to life. He heals him. Unexpected blessings along the road. God's faithful to His church. God loves His church. God does extravagant things for His people that He doesn't even have to do. Has God ever done that for you? Has He provided a need in your life that, when you're honest, it really wasn't a need, it was just something you really wanted? God didn't have to do it, but He did. He provided. Have you ever prayed for somebody who was sick and, and they were healed? And other people you prayed for weren't healed, but man, God chose to heal that person. Why did God do that? Because He's good, because He loves us, because He cares for our needs. Have you ever made a really foolish decision but didn't have to face? the really awful consequences that you probably should have had to face because of your foolish decision? Because God's good and He's faithful. I sure am thankful that when we set out on the road of life, if you're walking with the Lord, God blesses along the way. Does He drop ice cream in your lap every time you ask? No. Does He always just automatically, miraculously fill your car up with gas? No. But does He often guide us around obstacles and protect us from things, some that we don't even see? Does He provide for our needs through unexpected ways and people that we didn't even know? I look at that in a church family like ours, and I see... God providing for our church through all kinds of unexpected means and unexpected ways with unexpected people. People we didn't even know 6 months ago or a year ago or 2 years ago and now I feel like they're my best friends in the world and God's providing doing wonderful things. How does that happen? It's cuz God's good and he's faithful. Sometimes we can get discouraged cuz we get turned inward and our life is hard sometimes and we get frustrated. But I'm so thankful for the blessing of the healing of Eutychus. Not only was there the healing, we also see here just the blessing of encouragement. The blessing of encouragement. The whole church body, into verse 12, they were not a little comforted. Luke always has this understated way of saying things. In other words, he means, they were really encouraged. I mean, wouldn't you? I mean, We don't know, but was Eutychus' mother there that day? Perhaps. One scholar said this, that the name Eutychus is actually a common name given to a slave. So if he was a slave, as many of these early Christians were, it's very possible that Eutychus had been working all day long in his master's house as a slave. And he comes late to the church service because he had to work. And he gets there late, and he's just happy to be there. And because he's late, there's not any seats left in the room. And so he props himself up in the window because he's tired because he worked all day as a slave. But he's just happy to be at church with the people. And as he's sitting there, he gets tired and he falls asleep and falls out of the window and dies. And think, poor guy, all he's trying to do is get to church. He's tired because he's a slave. If you were a slave, you'd be tired too. But he still put the priority on following God. And God blessed him for it. And God blessed the church for it. Now, I know that's a lot to take off of just his name, but it's based on what was going on in that time period, based on what his name is, there's a very high probability that something like that is what took place in Eutychus' life. There was the blessing of healing, the blessing of encouragement. But we also see in this passage, just stories from the road, the blessings of providing co-laborers. People came alongside Paul. I read their names kind of quickly earlier. But these are all the people with him. They're accompanying him, verse 4, into Asia, Sopater of Berea. Who's he? He's Sopater he's from Berea who was he well he's somebody who came to Christ and he was willing to leave behind his family and his church and his friends and whatever job he had and be the person who was carrying the collection of finances to go and help the saints in Jerusalem that's somebody who's dedicated how did he get that dedicated was it because it paid well? No. Nope. Was it because it was a very safe occupation? No, it was dangerous. There were people lying in wait for these guys. Was it because it was comfortable? No. They were packed into church rooms so tight, people were sitting in windowsills and falling out and dying. Was it because it was just an exotic trip? No. He was going to the to Jerusalem, a place of great persecution for believers. And he's traveling with Paul, like, who's at the top of the most wanted list for these Jews. But we just read and mention, he's Sopater. Oh, and there was somebody else from another church, from the Thessalonians, Aristarchus, Segundus. A couple more men. Where'd these guys come from? I don't know what their testimony is. They'd been saved. They'd grown in the Lord. They were part of that church in Thessalonica. And you can read about the amazing things that God did in Thessalonica. They were the recipients of Paul's ministry there. When Paul wrote later and he said, We were like you, We were with you like a nursing mother with her children. We were willing to impart unto you even ourselves, not just the truth, but ourselves, our, our entire being, everything we had. That's Segundus, that's Aristarchus, and then Gaius of Derby, and Timothy. We know a lot about him. And of Asia, Tychicus and Trophimus. What struck me as I was thinking about this, remember the first time Paul left on a missionary journey? It was Paul, and Barnabas, and John Mark who left them halfway through. The second missionary journey, it's Paul and Silas. And later on, they pick up Timothy and Luke. But now, look at all these people traveling with him. Because there's all those that were named, but we know Luke is there as well because he says it's us. Was it five? Was it six? Was it ten? I don't know. But isn't it neat how God provides co-laborers? God blessed Paul with men who would carry on his ministry in cities where he would never even visit again. But through their work, every Gentile would have the opportunity to hear the gospel. In one of Paul's final things that he wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, He's relating to Timothy a few more of these stories from the road. And he says, Timothy, verse 14 Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. Timothy, watch out. There's people out there that will try to harm you. He said, The Lord, though, reward him according to his works. God will take care of it. Of whom be thou ware also. Be careful, Timothy, watch out. For he hath greatly withstood our words. Paul says, At my first answer, No man stood with me. Paul knew what it was to serve God alone. He said, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it might not be laid to their charge. How about this? 2 Timothy 4.17. This might be somebody's life verse. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. What a thought. Paul knew what it was to be alone. He knew what it was to go through struggle. He knew what it was to face obstacles. Satan fighting against the work of God. But Paul said, I have enough. Everybody else forsook me, but the Lord, he stood with me. It was the Lord that strengthened me. And he said, and that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear. And then he kind of throws in at the end of verse 17. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. I like that that that's like the end of the phrase. If you were telling the story, the lion part would come first, I know. I would probably tell you the lion part first too. But isn't it interesting? What I see here is a man who's walking with God. And so lions, stonings, beatings prison it's all par for the course just part of life those things aren't what move him or discourage him even when people turn away from him it's hard but Paul comes back and he says it's the Lord that strengthens me I wonder this morning who is your strength A lot of times we realize who our strength is in. It's in another person. You say, well, how do you know that? Because when that person steps away or isn't doing what they should be doing, then all of a sudden you fall apart. Sometimes your strength is in yourself. You do pretty well as long as you're feeling good, as long as you're healthy, as long as you have money, as long as your life is working out well. But if things start to fall apart, you just sort of shut down. Find your strength in the Lord. Find your strength in the Lord. You say, how do I do that? Well, seek Him first. So when God provides for a need financially in your life, thank Him first and honor Him first with your time, with your finances, with your priorities. Put God first. Often though, What happens is when God blesses, people then bless themselves first, take care of themselves. So what are they doing? They're showing that they're trusting in themselves. Well, I deserve this. I need this. Yeah, you probably do need a break. You probably do need a nap. But put God first and then take care of yourself. Then take care of those other needs. I think sometimes on the road we get weary. Maybe you're weary on the road this morning. Maybe you are frustrated by the road. Maybe even considering leaving the road. Ah, I just don't know if it's worth it. Yesterday, Laura Gabriel called me and uh, told me about some awful things that took place. A couple, well, three people were shot and killed just a few minutes from here. Yesterday morning, it was on the news last night. And I knew one of the guys that died yesterday. Didn't know him super well, but I knew his family. His stepmom was baptized here just a few years ago. Life's been hard. I'm sure we could all find lots of fingers to point about wrong choices that have been made, and they are. But as Laura called me, we went over there yesterday, and I think I still have a sunburn on the back of my neck from standing out there. We were standing out there for several hours with the family and the friends the detectives were there the medical examiners were there very sad but through that the lord opened up some ministry opportunities to pray with a number of people to be able to share some hope of christ with folks and laura made the comment to me she said i grew up on this street I did all these things that these people are involved in but several years ago I was looking online I wanted something different for my kids and myself and I saw that this church was having a VBS and she said I'd never been to a church before but I decided to come and she did and she sat right about here she's only three rows back today And the Lord's moved her away right now. We hope she'll get to move back here and be more part future, but she was able to be here today. I remember Laura that day thinking how sad you looked. And uh, I remember talking to you after the service, invited you back, and you came all week with your kids and every night to VBS. And on Friday night, we gave the gospel and Gave the invitation, Laura's hand was the first hand to go up. She beat all the kids, said, "I need that. I need to be saved. I need Jesus." And I remember Shandy got to pray with her and she trusted Christ. Shandy said, "I didn't have to lead her to anything. She was ready. She knew what she wanted to do. she wanted to be saved. And Laura was baptized here shortly after that, and then Zoe, right after that, now Zoe's half grown up. You were so little when you came. Now you're getting big, Zoe. Sean was only two. Now he's a big kid running around. And Laura just said yesterday to those folks, she shared some of that testimony with some of the people we were talking with yesterday. And she said, what these people need is God. They need the Lord. You know, it was on the news last night. Some neighbors over here in Shepherd Park found one of the bodies on their sidewalk yesterday morning. That's not a great way to wake up in the morning. because It was just dumped out of the car as as the perpetrator sped away. Sadly, demonstrates what friends are called in this world. You know, your friend shot and killed and you just dump his body on the side of the road and drive away because you're trying to save your own skin. This world doesn't have answers. And even this week, as I was thinking through some of the other spiritual struggles that people are going through, I thought, this road that we're on is hard sometimes. I want to sometimes get frustrated. or Like, is it worth it? Why do we do this? But when I heard Laura sharing that testimony yesterday, The Lord reminded me, this is why we do it. Because God does take people that live on the wrong street, doing the wrong things with the wrong friends, in a bad situation, and God changes their life. And God can save anybody if they'll call on Him. They'll trust in Him. We don't have to sit here... As Christians today, just sort of holding on and just saying, Lord, come quickly because there's nothing else we can do. This world is just a wreck. We have the gospel to share. Is it going to be difficult? Yeah. Are there going to be people lying in wait sometimes? Sadly, yes. Is there going to be opposition? Yeah. But God's faithful. Paul wasn't heading out to go have a big party with his friends. No, he's headed to Jerusalem, and then he gets thrown in prison and gets to Rome, and life on this earth is running out. But Paul said it well when he wrote to the church at Philippi, for to me, to live is Christ. And to die, well, that's gain. That's gain. God's given you children, or maybe He hasn't. God's given you a family, or maybe He hasn't. God's given you a job, or maybe He hasn't. God's given you a place to live, or maybe He hasn't. But whatever God has given you, He's given you enough. Because He's given you His Son, Jesus Christ. And if you've never trusted in Him, He can forgive you. He can save you. And if you have trusted in Him, live for Him. Living for Him doesn't mean it'll be easy. But it does mean He'll be with you. And you can live a life of consequence to make a difference for Christ. Because it's true that only what's done for Christ is what will last. if you're struggling on your road today that God's put you on, would you recommit it to Him? Lord, You've directed my steps. Lord, You've put me on this path. So Lord, I'm going to follow You. I'm going to commit to stay faithful. Lord, I've been discouraged. Lord, I had some spiritually high times. We had some great times last week in the missions conference. This week, it was cold. Some people got sick. Life was hard. Difficult things happened right here in our neighborhood. Awful stuff. But what do we need? We just need God. We need to walk with Him. Would you stand with me if you're able as I pray? And then I want to invite you to pray. Some of the things that I've seen this week, I've just felt like My knees were going to buckle. I was just going to stop because it's just hard. But the Lord is so faithful. And the Lord encouraged me this week with these stories from Paul's road. He encouraged me, Laura, with your testimony yesterday. And he encouraged me that he is faithful and he builds his church. Lord, we love you. We love you and we thank you for who you are and that you are so faithful to us. Lord, I want to pray for our church this morning, for each one that's here. Lord, you know their hearts, you know their burdens, and they are heavy sometimes. Lord, we thank you that you are so faithful and good to us. Lord, you've put us on a road that can be difficult at times. But thank you for... The co laborers, those who come alongside to help. Thank you for a church family that loves and serves one another. Lord, thank you for the encouragement that you give us through the testimony of others and through the truth of your word. Thank you for even the healing that you bring, sometimes even miraculous work in people's lives and in our lives to provide, to heal, to strengthen in ways that are so far beyond our comprehension. We thank you for that. Lord, may our eyes be looking on you this morning. And then, Lord, if there's somebody here today that doesn't know you as Savior, I pray that they would be saved. As your heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I just want to ask that question. Is there anybody here this morning just would be willing to lift up your hand and put it back down and say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I'm struggling. I need God. I need to be saved. I need to have my sins forgiven, and I'm not sure that I'm on my way to heaven. Could I pray for you this morning? Anybody like that at all? Thank you. Maybe you're here this morning and say, Pastor, some of the days this week or this month or even the things I'm looking forward to on my road are difficult. They're discouraging. They're tiring They're hard, and I need this morning to refocus on God in some area. God's shown me something in my life that I need to give. Him. Can I pray for you this morning? hands all over. Amen. Let's pray, Lord. We need you. Help us now to respond in faith and in obedience. Lord, not just emotion, but Lord, in our spirit that we would follow you now. In Jesus' name, amen.